Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung, and I'm so grateful to you for joining us as we take a look at the book. If you have your Bible handy, let's go to the book of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings, but it is the foundation for all of biblical prophecy. Today, we're going to be talking about the properties of Bible prophecy. There are some properties that have been promised to the Jewish people. Real estate, that is 10 times what they have today. We want you to study this with us. It's very important so that you can understand what is happening in the Middle East and why it is happening. So get your Bibles handy. We'll go to the book of Genesis. We'll have our study, and when we come back, I will tell you how you can get your own copy of this five-hour audio series on CD entitled Genesis, The Foundations of Biblical Prophecy. Right now, though, let's study about the properties of Bible prophecy. The place does matter as it relates to places, properties that are given to us originating in the book of Genesis. Go with the first one, if you will, and let me show you. I'm going to talk. Genesis 1 is creation. Genesis 2 is the special effects of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we are going to see that uh, Jesus Christ, who created everything, by the way, that's what the Word of God says. That's the only reason I make this statement. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, by Him, Jesus Christ, were all things created. God the Father was the architect. Jesus Christ the Son was the carpenter. And He put it into existence. He spoke, and all things came into existence. They were created by him and for him. That's the word of God. And that's what I love uh, to abide under the authority of. Now, what we look at here in Genesis chapter 1 is he established the Garden of Eden. This was the third day of creation. I referred to it the other day, but let's look at it a bit more. Verse 9, chapter 1, which is the account of the six 24-hour day creation. In six 24-hour days, Jesus Christ brought all that was created and the heavens and the earth and contained within those two spheres into existence. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. I believe when he gathered together the waters on this earth and the dry land, that was one solid piece of real estate. He did not put seven continents out there. He created one solid piece. He gathered them together in one solid piece. And the oceans, the waters surrounded them. And he called uh, the land earth and he called the waters sea. Verse 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb bearing seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit. By the way, that's an excellent statement right there. If you ever have somebody wants to argue with you about, well, it took eons of time to have everything evolve. And how in the world can you say that Jesus Christ spoke the worlds into existence in one or in six 24-hour days? Right there. Look, look what it says. The fruit tree yielding fruit. The day he created that fruit tree, baby, it was bringing forth fruit. That's a fruit tree created with age. That's the whole bottom line of the whole story. Man, right there in the garden, 
He could have gone and picked up some fruit that day. Glory to God. I get happy in Jesus. Please excuse me. I have more fun than you do reading this word and studying. Oh, glory to God. Notice what he said. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb bearing seed and the fruit trees yielding after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. He brings the Garden of Eden into existence at this point in time. On the third day of creation, on this piece of real estate called earth, he establishes the Garden of Eden. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 gives a bit more detail about what did take place. Now, I need to show you a couple of things. And let me just say this. I've lived in Israel for the last 15 years in Jerusalem. And uh, people think I know I'm fluent in Hebrew. I can read Hebrew. That is not the case. I know enough Hebrew just to make me dangerous. I mean, I, I know street Hebrew. I can get around in the street. I made a decision early on with Minnow Kalish here during my translating. I mean, that's his mother tongue. What's the use of me trying to learn 10 years of study, and as an old guy as I was then, I didn't want to spend that time, so Minnow gave me a special uh, dispensation so that I did not have to learn Hebrew. Now, we are a Hebrew-speaking congregation. In fact, we have had eight languages spoken in our congregation. It sounded like a tongues meeting, but it was the true thing, I tell you that. Anyway, uh, you know, but uh, I, so I didn't learn a lot, but I do have the tools. I know where the tools are to get information to assist me in understanding the Word of God. I have a King James Bible. I love the King James Bible. I only use the King James Bible. I'm not a King James only, though. Please forgive me if you are. We can have a discussion outside. I'd love to chat with you. Uh, come on down. I'm waiting right here with my King James Bible. But uh, and I'm not cutting down. I love it. I love, I never, I, I will use a translation once in a while to jog my thinking. I love this. But I have to tell you this. Every single interpreter of any original language has to put his or her theology in it. You cannot go totally blank mind when you approach that responsibility. Now, having said that, there's some Hebrew words here that I think could have used the other translation. For example, there are multiplicities of words that could be translated from that Hebrew word. Let me just show you, starting here in verse 8, and let's see what it said. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward. That word in Hebrew is kadim. It does translate Places in the Old Testament, east or eastward. But it, in addition to that, translates aforetime, before. If you don't believe that, go to Strong's Concordance. Look it up. It's right there. And so what he's saying now, eastward, eastward of what? I mean, he's just created the heavens and the earth. What spot did he mark? Say, okay, everything east of that. No. I think it better fits. He, he planted the Garden of Eden aforetime before. He did it on the third day of creation. On the sixth day of creation. Later, he's going to bring man into existence. Now, let's move ahead. And there... My King James says he put. Well, that word is 
Tzom. And what it means is put. That's used 151 times translated in the, uh, in the Bible. But 125 times the word says it should be translated make. Oh. So he planted a garden of Eden aforetime to make man. That sounds logical. Orthodox Judaism has believed that for 5,767 years. That's how long they believe we have been in existence from the day of creation. 5767. We're in the year 5767 Jewish years. And so they, they actually have only believed it since 3,500 years ago when Moses wrote the book of Genesis. God breathed into him the information, the eyewitness account, the only eyewitness account of creation given to Moses by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we read this verse, and the Lord God planted a garden aforetime or before in Eden, and there to make the man whom he had Yatsar formed, who he formed, not he had, he formed. That's the perfect tense. It means a completed event that has happened. I mean, just do a word study on it. Don't believe me. I'm not trying to make it fit what I want it to say. I'm simply taking the word of God, doing a word study, and coming up with a conclusion. In the Garden of Eden, which he made on the third day of creation, ultimately, later on, a fourth time, a couple of days later, on the sixth day of creation, he makes man, and there formed in the Garden of Eden. Every Orthodox Jewish scholar will tell you, man was created in the Garden of Eden. Of Eden. Every one of them. They have some things. In fact, I think Hebrew is their mother tongue. They know it a bit better than most of us. Now notice what else it says in verse 9. And out of the garden, or out of the ground, made the Lord God to grow every tree, third day of creation. That is pleasant and to the sight and good for food. They were going to eat. How do you think they were going to eat? You weren't allowed to kill animals at this point in time. You had to eat. They got foliage. They got vegetation. They got fruit from trees, all kind of trees. Two trees in particular, the tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, it does not say any place that these people could not lead to the tree of life. In fact, they had to eat of the tree of life. How do you think they would sustain life? Chapter 3 tells us that what happened was when they sinned, Adam and Eve, God put a cherub there with a sword, said, don't let them in. If they eat of the tree of life, they'll live forever in their sin. So they couldn't go back in there after that. But before they were eating of the tree of life... They were told not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That's the one they couldn't eat of. Let me show you something else here. Verse 10. And a river. Did I articulate that effectively enough? It does not say rivers. It said a river. One river. I'm sorry to be so dramatic, but... 
we get so much junk in our brain and our computer system here. I got to try to jog it loose so you can get it out. There are not rivers in the Garden of Eden. When you try to determine where the Garden of Eden is, don't come talking to me about the Tigris and the Euphrates River. That has nothing to do with the location of the Garden of Eden. They weren't in the Garden of Eden. In fact, if they were, where were they before the flood? Do you know? Anybody know where the Tigris and Euphrates were before the flood? Because the flood actually changed the topography of the earth. And so, I mean, I don't know anybody that truly knows where the Tigris and the Euphrates were. Oh, there's some information here. But this information is so nebulous. It said the rivers went out towards this way and out towards that way. That's all it's teaching. It doesn't say they were there in the Garden of Eden. There was only one river in the Garden of Eden. I'll show you that in a few moments, which one it is. And outside, and the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became four heads, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates, the four rivers that came into existence someplace. It didn't say how far. It could have been two feet outside the Garden of Eden. I don't know. The text doesn't say that. It was someplace outside of the Garden of Eden. Well, that's the Garden of Eden. Thank you so very much for joining us as we've taken a look at the book. We want you to have your own copy of this five-hour audio series on CD entitled Genesis, The Foundations of Biblical Prophecy. You see, prophecy does not start in the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Malachi, or Revelation. It starts in the book of Genesis. That's thus then the title of our series, Genesis, The Foundations of Bible Prophecy. You can get your own copy of this five-hour audio series on CD by calling our toll-free number. It's 877-674-3298. Now, that's toll-free from across America. Let me give it again, 877-674-3298. Or you can go to our website and make your order of this series, Genesis, the Foundations of Bible Prophecy. Go to the website address, prophecytoday.com. By the way, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that as we look at the current events unfolding in our world today, it seems like the rapture could happen today. And you know, that is absolutely the truth. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until.